Hey guys, Eric Lindine here. I'm the lead pastor of Mosaic Church in Maple Grove, Minnesota. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you, and that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. He is risen. Amen. Well, happy Easter. My name is Eric. It's to be one of the pastors here. So glad to see you all, whether you've been coming for a long time or it's your first time. We're just so glad that you are here. Something I've realized is it's really hard to give someone something if they think they already have it. It's really hard to give someone something if they think they already have it. Why are we doing this series next week called Meant to Be? Well, because I think most of us, we get married and we think, I'm going to be a pro at marriage, right? And then you get home from the honeymoon and you have your first fight and you realize, wow, what happened to the person I thought I was marrying, right? And you're actually yourself for the first time. You get to know each other and you realize this isn't as easy as I thought it was going to be. And, and we thought we were going to be like this, this marriage was going to be easy and natural. And we realize, no, actually, I need some training in this. I need some help. It's like those of us who are parents. I think a lot of us think hey, I'm just going to be uh, the best dad ever, and this is going to come naturally to me, right? Who, who can say raising kids is tough? It's rewarding, but it's tough. And I think there's a lot of us who are parents over time realize, man, I thought I had what it took to be a good dad. I thought I knew it, but actually I need some help. I need someone to give me some wisdom and some training. And so in a couple weeks, we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about raising kids, about dealing with in-laws, family drama, all this kind of stuff, because the stuff in here is great biblical wisdom that we can apply to ourselves. But the problem is, I think a lot of us think we already have this. We think we have it marriage down or parenting down. And then if your spouse is kind of giving you the nudge, you might realize, hey, we need to come back next week and learn more about what the Bible has to say about marriage, about being single, and uh, how to help you have a better sex life. So if that's going to help you come next week, we'd love to have that be the reason. But ultimately, we want you to know that Jesus wants you to have a thriving life and life to the fullest. And so, though it's hard to give someone, though, something, if they think they already have it. When Jesus came, he said, the reason I've come is to give life and life to the fullest. And I can imagine, though, his disciples and the people listening to him said, I don't get it, Jesus. I'm already alive. I'm walking around. I'm breathing. What do you mean you've came to give us life? Clearly, I have life. It's really hard to give someone something if they think they already have it. But Jesus is like, no, 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 you don't understand you think you're alive, but actually you aren't. How many of you can resonate with that, that you think life was going to be a certain way, and you thought this is what it meant to be alive, but something has felt lacking. Your life hasn't quite felt life to the full, but that's what Jesus said he came to bring. So Jesus kept talking about how he wants to raise people back to life, but people just didn't get it. And then one day, the government killed him. And all the people's hopes and dreams and their thoughts about this rabbi, this teacher, were crushed. And they thought, wow, that was great while it lasted. 
I guess he didn't really come to bring life to the fullest. And it's hard to give someone something they think they already have. They thought they had a political savior. They thought he was going to come and free them from the Romans, and, and he was giving them some really good advice. But what they actually needed was a savior of the world, and they didn't quite get it. I'm going to read a little bit of the Easter story now, kind of the end, Friday night into some of Sunday morning. Luke chapter 23, uh, verse 50. says, Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, their kind of ruling religious council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision action to kill Jesus, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. And this man went to Pilate, he's the Roman governor, and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down off the cross. He wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation, it's right before the Sabbath, and the Sabbath was beginning. And the women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments now on the Sabbath, on Saturday, they rested according to the commandments. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven, that's the disciples, and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them as an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Would you join with me in prayer? Jesus, we thank you that 2,000 years ago you went to the cross, you bore the price for our sins. And then, three days later, you rose from the grave alive, showing that you truly are the Son of God, that you have power over life and death and sin and darkness. We thank you, God, that we get to come here and celebrate that, and we just ask, God, that you'd just be with us for this next bit that we have together. In your name we pray, amen. Well, here we are gathered with many other believers across the world 2,000 years later. We're not here, though, because someone died on a cross. We're not here because someone gave some good lectures and some great advice and some good teaching. We're not here because someone started a new religion. We're here because Jesus got up out of that grave and he rose again, amen? That's why we're here. We're here because on Easter morning, a bunch of women went to the tomb and brought some spices with them to re-embalm the body of Jesus because two guys had done it Friday night. And those ladies were pretty sure those guys didn't do a good enough job. So they're coming back Sunday morning 
to re-embalm it. They were expecting to find a body, but what no one was expecting was to find no body that morning. See, no one was waiting outside that tomb, counting down as the sun rose. Three, two, one. All right, Jesus can rise from the dead. See, they had lost all hope, and nobody was expecting no body to be there on that Easter morning. No one expected this. And then a few days later, those same people who hid in fear and wouldn't even go to Jesus' funeral went boldly into those same streets of the same town and knowing that they could be arrested and killed, here's what they said about Jesus. You killed him. God raised him. We've seen him. What are you going to do now? You have killed him. God raised him. We have seen him with our own eyes. What are you going to do now? And you know what those early disciples did? They kept saying this again and again and again. And they didn't wait till a year later to celebrate it. Just a few days later, they started telling everyone they knew. And 10 of those early disciples and many other followers of Jesus were willing to die for this message because they had seen with their own eyes the risen Savior. Not just because someone had died on a cross, thousands of people died on the cross. Not because Jesus had just gave some great lectures and said, hey, love your neighbor as yourself. That's good stuff. What was different was that Jesus got up out of that grave and he rose again. They saw a resurrected Savior. They saw their beloved Jesus rise to life. Well, who is this Jesus? Well, just a little bit here. Uh, for the next few minutes, I just want to tell you about my Jesus. If you're a political candidate and you want to be elected, or maybe you are an entrepreneur like Ryan, and, and you're starting a new venture, and you're going to launch a new product, that first product launch, that first you know, press conference, it's going to be very carefully crafted, right? To make sure that you communicate the right message about who you are. Everything's going to be perfectly scripted, because you want people to have a very clear picture of who you're all about. So what does Jesus choose as his very first miracle? It's at a wedding. That's where Jesus launches his campaign to let everyone know that he's the savior of the world. And it's like, wait, what? Why there? No one's sick. No one's close to death's door. No one's demon-possessed. No one is starving. No one is blind or lame. Like, one of those miracles, I would think, that's a great way to announce who you are. And yet Jesus' first miracle is to decide to keep a party going for a young married couple. And not just bring in wine, but to bring in great wine. Why would he do this? This is why I know these stories are real and not a work of fiction. Because if I was making up the Jesus story to get people to believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the God-man who came to save the world, why would you write that the first miracle of Jesus is to use his almighty power to save two newlywed teenagers from being embarrassed for running out of wine? Why did Jesus do that? Well, there must be something more going on to, in this story. Have you ever attended a wedding with a friend who's single? Or maybe you are single and you've been to a wedding. And, and you, maybe they've gotten that kind of far off look in their eye while they're you know, at that wedding. And they're thinking about someday they're going to get married. As we read this story about Jesus in John chapter 2, he's kind of got this far off look in his eye. And his mom comes and says, hey, do something about this wine situation, right? He's like, hey, it's not my time yet. I think Jesus is actually thinking about his wedding. 
said, whoa, Eric, what? Are you one of those pastors who believes, you know, Dan Brown and the Da Vinci Code and he was married to, you know, Mary Magdalene? No, 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 I'm saying it all. But something about this is pointing to the end of our story, to the story that God is writing. How does the story of humanity and the Bible end? Is it like the cartoon show that we're floating up in clouds playing harps? Thank the Lord. No, that sounds awful. That sounds terrible to me. No, the story ends with Jesus bringing heaven to a new earth, and we all celebrate together with a wedding feast, and everyone's invited, and the doors are open to the city, and everyone is allowed in, and we get to celebrate with God forever. It's the fulfillment of what Jesus came to bring, and it's a wedding of Jesus the groom to his bride, the church. That's us who believe and trust in him. And it's life and joy everlasting, like wine, like the best wine flowing out. It's going to be a party celebration. Josh Olson DJing it. It's going to be awesome. We're going to be dancing. It's going to be fun. And Jesus' desire that his joy, like new wine, is in you and me. Life everlasting, life to the fullest. That's why his first miracle was turning water into wine. He's pointing to the end of his story. He's saying, this is who I am. I bring goodness. I bring life. I bring joy just like new wine. And he's inviting us into that relationship, joy like the finest wine. But Jesus didn't just do weddings. He also did funerals. Although most times when he showed up to a funeral, those dead people ended up getting up. One of my favorite stories is Jesus was, was close friends with these two sisters, Mary and Martha, and I've got two sisters. And they kind of remind me of those two sisters. And they had a brother named Lazarus. And Lazarus he doesn't do much. The sisters really do all the work. The ladies get the amen, right? And they own the house. Lazarus stayed with them. But one day, Lazarus, he's good friends with Jesus. Jesus is all the time over at Mary and Martha's house. And they were cooking for, for Jesus and his boys. And, and then one day, Lazarus gets sick. And they're really concerned about Lazarus. They send word to Jesus. They say, hey, hey, Lord, our brother who we love dearly, he's really, really sick. And we've seen you heal people. Can you come heal him? And Jesus just waits for four days and doesn't go to them. By the time he shows up, Lazarus is dead and he's buried. And Jesus meets Martha and she's sobbing. She's like, Jesus, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus speaks truth to her. Hey, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he goes into the house because Mary is just, just so broken up. Her dear brother's dead. She says the same thing. Jesus, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. What does Jesus do? The shortest verse in all the Bible. If you want to memorize the verse today. Jesus wept. Sometimes we need to hear truth from Jesus. Sometimes he just sits with us and he weeps because he feels our pain. See, Jesus, he's totally God, but he's just as much man. He's the God-man, and he feels our suffering and pain. Let me tell you about my Jesus, that he knows what you've been through. So Jesus, he weeps with Mary, but then he goes, he says, hey, show me where you buried him. Show me where you stopped believing. Show me that place where you had dreams, and you put them away, and you buried them. And then they come to the tomb, and he says, hey, you guys, roll that stone away. He says, remove that hard thing that you've put in front of the thing that you've lost. 
Maybe today Jesus is telling you, hey, remove the calloused, hard thing in front of your heart so I can speak to that dead thing. And they roll the stone away, and what does Jesus say? Lazarus, come out! And an old preacher said, it was good. He said, Lazarus. Because then every dead body would have come on out. And what does Lazarus do? He's been in the grave, and, and back then they would wrap up the grave people. And so Lazarus, he's wrapped up in all his grave cloths, and Jesus calls him out, and he's like, I'm coming, Jesus! I'm coming, Jesus! And he's hopping out of the grave towards the voice of Jesus. And what, does Jesus then rush and, and take off the grave clothes? No, what does Jesus do? He turns to his disciples and says, hey, unbind him. Because Jesus, when we're his followers, he wants to partner with us. He brings dead things to life, but then he says, hey, you unbind them. You take away the thing that's holding them bound and captive. And Jesus is always stretching his disciples. And even dead things come to help, come to life with the help of my Jesus. Well, let me tell you about my Jesus. Jesus is the one who, he's out teaching, and in this culture, there's disease and sickness like leprosy. And leprosy is this horrible skin condition. But not only would you not feel much pain, so you'd burn yourself, you wouldn't realize what's going on, but your fingers and your toes and your ears and your nose would start to fall off. And, and you couldn't be around your friends and family who didn't have that same condition. So you were out with the smelly, stinky other outsiders. You weren't allowed in the temple. You weren't allowed at family gatherings. You wouldn't be allowed in here because it was highly contagious. And so if you went into a, 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 an area with other people, you'd have to shout out your condition, unclean, unclean. And then you'd walk away and everyone would back up so they could give you space so they wouldn't touch you. And so people who had this condition for years sometimes would spend 10, 20 years without being touched. No hand-holding, no hug, no hand on the shoulder. People throwing rocks at you if you came too close. Have you ever felt that way? Unclean, like you don't belong? And this man of leprosy in Luke chapter 5 calls out to Jesus, Jesus, please heal me. Please have mercy on me. Jesus is powerful. What did he, he spoke to Lazarus. Lazarus rose from the grave. Jesus could have been like, drive by miracle, right? Boom, be healed. Peace out, right? Easily could have done that. What does Jesus do? Jesus walks up to that man who was lying on the ground, his head in the dirt, causing mud to form from his tears. And Jesus gets down, and he puts a hand on that man. He's no distant savior. Let me tell you about my Jesus. And he says, be healed, be clean. And instantly, he's made clean and new. And Jesus, what does he tell him? Hey, Go do what the Old Testament law tells you, which is go to the priest, make the sacrifice, and it's a whole neat thing where the priest now is going to take a little bit of blood that they sacrifice and rub it on his, on his big toe and on his ear and on his thumb. You're like, what's going on here? And it's like, hey, you belong to God now. You've been healed. Walk with God. You belong to God now. Listen to him. You belong to God now. Serve him with your hands. So Jesus doesn't just heal. He doesn't just bring life. He says, now you belong to this community. Get back in. Listen to God. Walk with God. Serve God. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Is, is Jesus would off, go do ministry. He's, he's, he's feeding the 5,000. He, he's going to a region where a crazy man who's out of his mind, breaking chains, filled with demons, uh, uh, freeing him from that. And, and then he's coming back, and this religious leader, like, kind of like this pastor, comes to him and says, 
Jesus, please help my daughter, my little girl, she's 12, and then she's dying. She's like, yeah, I'm coming with you, come on, come on. So they're hurrying up, the disciples are tagging along, they're going through a big crowd, and what happens? There's a woman, she's been bleeding for 12 long years. As long as Jairus, the Jewish leader, his daughter's been alive, she's been bleeding. What does that mean? It means she's also unclean. It means for 12 years, she can't go to church. She can't go to God's temple because she's unclean. That's how it was back then. No one can touch her while she's bleeding. She hasn't felt someone on her. The Bible says she used up all her resources, all her money, everything she had to try to get well. She spent every cent. 12 years. And she doesn't have a daddy like Jairus who's looking out for her. She's all by herself. She's unclean. She's not supposed to be in a crowd, but she sneaks in. She could have been severely punished, perhaps even stoned for doing that because by touching the people, she's making them unclean as well. But she's like, I believe that this guy, Jesus, he loves me, he sees me. And I remember hearing in, 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 in synagogue one day that, that the Savior of the world is going to come and there's going to be healing in the tassels of his robes and if I just reach out and touch the hem of his garment, perhaps I too can receive healing. And so she sneaks into the crowd and she reaches out in faith and she touches him, believing that he's not just some man, but he's the savior of the world. And instantly she's healed and made new. And Jesus realizes it and says, who touched me? And the disciples are like, Jesus, you're in a big crowd. What do you mean who touched you? And she says, and she knows she's not supposed to be there. And maybe trembling with her eyes cast down, she says, it was me, Jesus. And this woman, this dear woman who spent everything she had trying to get better, she's so desperately, because desperate, desperate people are drawn to Jesus. And Jesus sees this woman. And then the only instance we have in the Bible where Jesus calls someone daughter, he looks at this woman who doesn't have a daddy, doesn't have anyone to advocate for her. She's on the edges on the margins. She's desperate. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Let me tell you about my Jesus. He sees the women who feel broken and lost and have no advocate. And that whole time, Jairus, whose daughter is dying, he's hopping from one foot to the next because he, he thinks this is a great story, but come on, Jesus, my little girl's dying. And someone walks up to him and says, hey, don't bother Jesus anymore because your little girl just died. Can you imagine? If Jesus hadn't stopped for her, maybe he would have healed my little girl, but this is cool, but now my little girl, she's dead. And Jesus is like, hey, it's going to be okay. Because my Jesus brings hope and speaks life into dead things. And when my Jesus shows up to a funeral, dead things don't stay dead. So he goes with them into, into the little room, and he just grabs a couple of his disciples, uh, Peter, James, and John. He's like, hey, come with me. And the mom and dad and the rest of them would leave outside, and, and the little girl's lying on the bed, and he's like, it's okay, she's just sleeping, but she's dead. And the professional mourners that are there, they laugh at Jesus because they're like, this guy doesn't know a dead body when he sees one. And Jesus is like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> and he's in the room. He speaks to this little girl. He says, little girl, get up. And downstairs, the people that are waiting, that were wailing, 
And they hear the little pitter-patter of her feet as she hops up. And Jesus says, give her something to eat. Let's throw a party. That's my Jesus. Is that he speaks life into issues and things that are dead. He just can't help himself, but brings dead thing to life. And right now, I don't know where you are with Jesus. Maybe you've been hurt by religion. People who claim to be followers of Jesus, but they have hurt you with their words and their actions. And Jesus' heart breaks over that. He said, that wasn't me. Right now, there's some hope, some dream you've had that's dead, but Jesus wants to bring it to life. Maybe you feel like an outsider, like that leper or that woman on the outskirts, and that no one has reached out and touched you in a gentle, encouraging way in years. Jesus says, hey, right now, I want to reach out and I want to give you life. Not just life, but life to the fullest. He wants to invite you to the party. He wants you to know that you are seen, that you are full of worth and dignity and value. He wants to be your savior. And salvation is what he offers. And salvation isn't something we do. It's what Jesus has done. Here's how the Apostle Paul writes it in Romans chapter 10. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and at this time that was a highly provocative statement because you know who said that? Because the Romans said Caesar is Lord. And so instead of putting your allegiance to the power and empire, he's saying, no, you put your allegiance and hope in Jesus. And if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But you know what? It's really hard to give someone something when they think they already have it. I think a lot of people think they already have salvation because, hey, I was born here in America. Hey, my parents are Christians. Hey, I made some decision, I think, when I was 5 or 13 or I went through confirmation. But see, here's the thing. is God just doesn't automatically forgive everyone. He offers us the choice. And here's the thing, is apart from Jesus, we are living in a grave like Lazarus. We don't realize it, but we're held captive to the kingdom of darkness. We don't realize it, but actually we're dead. But Jesus, your warrior king, he fought his way to your grave, and he's calling you out of that grave. Do you want to, in faith, believe that Jesus died for you and choose to follow him for the rest of your life? That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's not just a one-time decision. It's saying, Jesus, I want to be like you. I want to model my life after you. And even if other Christians haven't shown me the right way, even if other churches let me down, I'm going to put my eyes on Jesus because I want to be like him. I want to be like the one who reaches out to the outsiders. I want to be like the one who sees those who no one else sees. I want to be generous and courageous. I want to not just hope for peace. I want to fight for peace. That Jesus went to the cross. His life wasn't taken from him. He willingly laid it down because he's our warrior king who fights for us. Amen? I believe there's some people in this room, you're ready to make that choice to follow Jesus. And you thought you were saved maybe, but you realize, you know what? I haven't chosen to confess with my mouth, to believe in my heart, and to say I'm going to reorient my whole life around Jesus. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I believe some of you are ready to start a relationship with Jesus who is alive Some people who are ready to be forgiven for the first time. You've been holding on to shame and guilt, things that have been done to you, things that you have done, and you have been bearing that weight, and it's been causing internal issues, and and all these 
health problems have stemmed from the fact that you're carrying this guilt and shame. But Jesus says, you don't have to carry that anymore. That was nailed to the cross, and you can let it go. I can take that from you. And for those of you who are ready to make that decision to give your shame, your guilt, your sin, your pain, your hurt over to Jesus, he wants to give you his righteousness, his resume, and you can follow him. And you can start that today. I want to ask, just for a moment here, every head bowed, every eye closed. And I want you just to really take stock of of where you are with Jesus. Do you just kind of casually think about him? Or have you oriented your whole life around Jesus, this amazing warrior king who fought for us, who died for us, and who rose again? And you're saying, I want to give my life to him. If that's you, I want this to be a special moment right now between you and Jesus. I want you to start a relationship with him. In just a minute, I'm going to ask you to respond. But this is between you and God. This is your moment. This is the chance to turn from the path you've been following, you've been living, and instead to embrace the path of Jesus. If you're here today and you're saying, Eric, I want to receive the forgiveness and grace of Jesus, maybe for the very first time, then I want to pray for you. And here's what I want you to do is that on the count of three, just to raise your hand up, put it back down to make eye contact with me. I'm going to ask you to respond physically and externally because what I believe is happening to you on the inside is real. And when we respond physically on the outside, it makes what's happening on the inside become all the more real. And right now, if God is nudging you, that means he's talking to you. If, you, if your heart is racing, if, 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 you, if you feel that, that stirring, it means it's time that's God. Accept his forgiveness and start a new life. And right now you can make that decision. You can let go of your shame and guilt. And in the same way that healing happened in a moment, you can feel forgiven. You can start a new path. You can let go of the past and the hurt and the shame and the guilt. And you can start a relationship with Jesus right here, right now. If that's you, if you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as your master and teacher, and you want to orient your whole life after him, I'm not saying life is going to be easy. Everything's going to work out. But you can know that even in the pain, even in the doubt, even in the hurt, God, through Jesus, will be with you. That you don't have to be alone. He's a friend who's closer than a brother. If that's you and you want to make that decision this evening to start a relationship with him, I just want to ask you, and the count of three, just to raise your hand to make eye contact with you. One, God loves you so, so much. Two, I believe that you can never be the same after this moment. Three, raise your hand and say, I believe in Jesus. I want to follow him. Thank you. I see that hand. Is there someone else this morning, this evening? You want to start a relationship with Jesus? I'm just going to give you just a couple more minutes. Is there anyone else? But even if you don't raise your hand, I'm going to ask all of us to pray this prayer with me. Keep your eyes closed. There's a lot of Christ followers in here. And you can just repeat this. It's, Dear God, I confess to you that I have sinned against you. But God, I believe that you sent your son, Jesus, to take my place. And God, I thank you for giving my sins. And now I commit to following you with my life. Just real quick again, I just want to talk to, to if, you, if you raise your hand, I'd love to just connect with you after service. 
um, and, and uh, let's, let's talk about next steps because it's a very important decision that you made tonight. And, and I believe that you, you need some more information in that. But for the rest of us who are Christ followers, um, I'm going to ask you to respond too. Just keep your head bowed and eye closed. But maybe today as I'm just talking about who Jesus is, and maybe your heart, again, has been stirred, and you're just like, yeah, man, what a reminder. I, I, I've lost sight of who Jesus is. Um, I'd love to just pray for you that if you're just realizing that and, and you want to get refocused on Jesus, and, and you want him to be the thing that your life is oriented around, and you just want to kind of readjust how your, your, your life has been um, centered on right now. I'd just love to pray for you in just a minute. So if that's you, uh, I'd love to just, just have you raise your hand at the count of three, and then I just want to pray for you. Uh, one, two, three. Is there anyone else who just wants to kind of reorient your life around Jesus? Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. I see that hand. Anybody else? I'm going to pray for you. Jesus, I thank you for those who raise their hands. God, for the, the first time putting faith and trust in you and those who just want to kind of readjust their life and realize maybe they've just drifted away from what your desire is. And God, I pray right now they'd feel the shame and guilt just to be gone forever, that they would know that you are with them in the pain and uncertainty and hope and doubt. God, that they would feel your new joy like wine flowing through them, that your peace would would cover their heart, mind, and soul. God, that you right now would just continue to bring your healing touch on any past hurts, uh, uh, pain, guilt, shame, anything that's been done to them, any mistakes they've made. God, that they would know that they can be made instantly new in you. And God, I just pray for every one of us that in this Easter, God, we would just continue to look at you and, and keep our eyes on Jesus and, and not on all the other stuff. And God, I pray that with your strength, that we, we would stop striving, but God, we would just follow in your footsteps. Give us a clearer picture of who Jesus is and how you want us to be more like Jesus and to show Jesus to a world around us that so desperately needs some hope, some light, and some joy. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to write the band back up. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Maple Grove podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Mosaic Maple Grove. Your generosity allows this message to go out into the world. You can be a part of the Mosaic Tribe by going to mymosaicchurch.com. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. Grace and peace, my friends.